Welcome to another episode of the Post Post Podcast, uh, where I talk to creative minds about their inspiring creative journeys. I'm your host, David Gidali, and this is episode 17. Uh, this is a special episode where I'm actually going to not host it. I'm going to give uh, my friend Casey Johnson the, the opportunity to host this episode because we're going to be talking to me and my co-director, Anat about uh, our short film, Facewap, which we released uh, early January and uh, is being currently uh, screened and uh, being accepted to a few festivals. And uh, we'll get more uh, in-depth into that, but uh, I think it's an exciting episode. Casey Cooper Johnson uh, is uh, a fellow filmmaker. We went to AFI together. He just produced a feature film called Zana and also directed a horror series that I did the visual effects for as well as a, a brilliant uh, thesis film, which I was envious about, uh, called Unmanned, about a drone uh, operator. And um, he's also a documentary filmmaker. That's actually his roots are in documentary, where he kind of became really good at interviewing people. So I think he's the perfect person to uh, spearhead this episode. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, the film that we just did and uh, our creative journeys. And uh, stay tuned for future episode with Casey as the guest. I think that's it. Without further ado, I give you episode 17 of the Post Post Podcast. lovely introduction. David, I'm very excited to turn the mic around today to interview the post-post host, David Godali <laughs> and his partner in crime, Anat Tubi, about their new groundbreaking short... F oh, okay. It's okay. You can edit. Yeah, I can edit. Yeah. About their new groundbreaking short, Face Swap, that is... Um, in my opinion, a ticklingly entertaining and somewhat disturbing look at how technology is changing our love lives. Uh, but it's actually the technology that you two employ in the making of this film that uh, is both groundbreaking and uh, also quickly becoming widely controversial. Uh, it, some, you know, to a large part of the public, it's becoming known as uh, deep fake. Right. Um, we're going to dive today into the backstory of these two filmmakers and uh, this provocative short to get all the cool details on how you guys made the film, uh, as well as maybe some of the wider questions around what deep fake is and how it might be changing the world of fiction and reality. Um, but before we jump into deep fake, uh, I'm just uh, very curious to get a chance to talk with you guys a little bit about your backstory. Um, maybe, David, we can start with you. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about uh, how you got uh, in, into film, uh, but also in particular uh, into your work as a, as a VFX artist? Sure. Um I think one of my er the earliest memories I have with film was when I watched um, a film called uh, Little Trouble in uh, sorry Big Trouble in Little China. Oh yeah, 
uh, I remember I was actually in Canada at the time. I was I'm I'm from Israel and I grew up in Israel. But um, my cousin had a bar mitzvah back then um, in Canada, and I was he was old, he's older than me. I think six years older, which means I was at the time probably around seven years old, uh, or maybe even younger. Uh, and I just had a, it, it just left me with a big impression. And I think back then at the time, it was a time where as a kid, I was like, you know, playing make-belief and, and, you know, kind of dreaming things, you know, the, the, the blur between reality and dream and, and, uh, and fiction was very, was, was, uh, the, the edge was very blurry. And, um, that film kind of made me. I think there's something specifically about that film where the, the, the effects are not great, so you can actually see the seams, and when people are, like, flying or whatever, you can see the, the, the wires that hold them or something. There's something about, about it that made it feel maybe approachable more, you know, than other films that I saw at the time. And, uh -huh. and uh, that sort of uh, experience of, of watching a film that I can enjoy even as a kid, I, I mean, it, it was a funny film. I've actually seen it recently. It's, it's kind of an entertaining film. And at the same time, being able to like kind of see a little bit uh, the seams and what happens in the behind the scenes and uh, that duality or that or that like coexistence of of the creation and the and the process of creating it was very inspiring to me and kind of made me want to be both a filmmaker and uh, further down the line when visual effects became a thing. Uh, I mean, I think it only it was only in 94 when when computer generated uh imagery became kind of a, a primary f technique in filmmaking right with Jurassic Park and uh Terminator 2 and and uh and those films uh so that was a bit later but when that uh when that technology came came to to be it uh it became my way of expressing myself because i i had a computer as a kid and then i I wanted to use it to make films, and that was the the most natural uh, way for me to do that. You know, the post post podcast is about filmmakers who make that crossover from uh, post production and visual effects, and you know, post process uh, into um, writing and directing and producing and being more of the the creative leads on projects. But this is a little bit different in your career because you're not making a transition. You're constantly uh, balancing both uh, as a director and uh, running your own VFX company, Outpost, and doing a lot of VFX work. How do right. you, uh, one, how do you balance these two very demanding, uh, you know, roles and parts of your career? And two, what's, what's the, the fun because I can imagine there's plenty of challenges but what's the fun of kind of floating back and forth between doing post and you know taking the lead role and oftentimes doing both I think it's I, I think it's about my personality I'm like I'm both I feel like I'm creative but at the same time a very process um, oriented person and I, and I love you know it's weird but I love things like uh Tables, like, uh, not tables, uh, charts, you know, doing like filling out charts and following progress and having, you know, like, um, 
I in the background in, in my background at some point I was a VFX supervisor, a CG supervisor for uh, in in a in a company that I worked in as a as a pipeline um, supervisor and uh, creator, and that that meant a lot of just figuring out how things connect to things and just a, a process driven kind of uh, workflow that I felt was very uh, was very interesting to me, which I think comes. Uh, comes into use in in my work as a visual effects supervisor on my own company and and running my own company um, and I think it's that uh, that part of my personality and then uh, the my desire to keep to, to tell stories and being inspired by things that just uh, that I'm that I'm exposed to um, which I guess I think filmmakers are storytellers and storytellers when they when they experience something they have the urge to share it or at least in my case that's how I I see myself as like uh, fulfilling my storytelling duties to the world if if, if you uh, if you want to call it that and um, so I think the two are just complementary because um, becoming a filmmaker there's so much of course you know and we all know that there's there's so much that goes into trying to be to make that a profession and to live off of becoming a filmmaker that has nothing to do with actual like you know being creative and being ins inspired and there's things like you know having the right network and uh finding the right opportunities and uh and just hard work and, and writing and so as a director for instance I might want I might be a great director but not a great writer but you kind of have to be a great writer to to start off as a director um, and uh, in that case in, in in that aspect I think that being uh, having my own VFX company is a way for me to uh, to drive forward in directing as well because I get to meet new people and and have these creative collaborations with producers um, without having to constantly present new content if I, you know, if, uh, if I don't want to or I don't feel like I have something that's valuable at that particular point in time. So I can kind of keep getting those contacts, keep keep them warm if you want, you know. And um, so there is that. And also it kind of goes the other way as well where because I'm a director and because I've had the, the experience of working myself with visual effects artists, uh, and companies um, who, uh, who, who, for which I was the client, that gives me uh, a unique ability to serve my clients in a better way because I can see how they see things. Like I, I have the experience of being the other on the other side of the table and and being the one giving notes and struggling to explain what I'm trying to to achieve, uh, and also just you know understand why it's important for those clients to get things on time and and to make sure that uh and to be communicated to you know so there's those two the two um the two disciplines really complement each other in a great way i feel like and um the fun is i guess it's it's a matter of like uh, emotional distance from the work so as a director I'm very close to 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 the work and the content and and what I'm trying to perceive and there's something very you know deep about that and as a as a visual effects artist or supervisor I'm a service provider and I and I cater to someone else's vision 
which I find fun in a different way. You know, it's also relieving. It's like in, in a way, it's less on my shoulder. It's, it's, uh, there's more freedom. I get to experience the same, you know, a, a lot of times I'm involved from, from very early on in the process before we even shoot. Uh, so I get to experience the same kind of process as I would if, as a director, but I get to experience it with a diminished sense of responsibility, which allows me to, to be more open and to learn more and to be more sometimes, you know, as, as a, because I'm not the director, I feel like I can uh, think more outside the box and, and, uh, and have these kind of, this extra mobility in a way you know to to yeah. offer things so i think yeah again and, and then when i be, when i get to the to the chair of directing at, on a project of my own i try to remember how that how it was to be not the director on a, on a project of a similar scope or maybe even a bigger scope and try to apply that to to when i'm directing so and Anon. yes uh i know you as a both a very talented actress, but also as a, a screenwriter. Mm -hmm. um, and now uh, you. you're also beginning uh, to get into directing as well. Can you just right. tell me a little bit about uh, that journey through, you know, acting, writing, and, and you know, arriving to, to now starting to direct? Sure. Um, yeah, I've always written, I actually started writing as a child uh, short stories and poetry and um, acting was a passion that I took on I think like in my teens and um, I actually you and I spent some time together in Kosovo where I was working on a a dramatic television show pilot there that I co-wrote right and at the time I was acting uh, previous to that and I was actually you know, getting work and um, getting in front of very big producers and casting directors. But after spending, um, I think it was close to a year, like 11 months in Kosovo, I came back to the States and I just had a different perspective. You know, uh, the, the project we worked on was about the war and um, we interviewed a lot of people who'd lost loved ones in the war and... <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so when I came back to LA, I had just like this different outlook, and the project also reminded me how much I love to write, and that was actually my first experience writing a screenplay. So when I came back, I kind of shifted gears, and um, I worked on a uh, my screenplay Providence which was a short film at first that we were going to shoot as a short, but then I was. Uh, encouraged by some a few people that really uh, that I whose opinions I really trusted to make it into a feature film. So then I I worked about a year and a half on that, um, and I always um, it's funny because I would be on film sets as an actress, and <laughs> I I think probably every single every single one of the, one of the directors that I worked with said to me, "You need to be directing." Uh -huh. Um, you know, and it was something that kind of was always in the back of my mind and I, I knew that I would someday do, but, um, acting was such a passion at the time that I, you know, it's hard to focus on both yeah. and people that do both, I think they're incredible. 
at that time that was like the right path for me and yeah directing um this this project happened very organically I was actually I wrote a short film that I wanted to direct and David was helping me on it uh talking to me about like VFX and through that we um just started connecting and then that's when he told me about his idea for face swap and um I kind of helped him along with it more as like a friend in the beginning just you know he would uh shoot ideas out at me and you know I'd help him like decide what which path I thought was like the better one to go and then it kind of just evolved right naturally like yeah. we started um writing it together and then uh I think it started with you casting wanting like I, yeah. I wanted you to help me cast it yes uh-huh. and then we did rewrites uh leading up to the casting sessions right because we wanted to give the the actors te- you know more finalized text to work with and um a not one day just started like to well we we met for a con for a video conference to write to rewrite the, the, some of the scenes for the actors so that we have kind of more structured scene to to uh to do auditions on and in that process she basically rewrote the whole script uh it with me on the line and just kind of was shooting these brilliant lines of dialogue into it that were you know just and and a brand new ending like she added like basically the the button at the end of the short of the short uh-huh. was totally added by her as we were writing it Um, and the way she wrote it also was she like without even noticing it she was writing camera descriptions and uh, editing descriptions in in the text but not in a way that's intrusive but in a kind of a it just felt like she saw it it wasn't just you know like you know character A is going to say one thing and character B is going to say another it's like you know the shot's going to start wide and we're going to you know we're going to see something and then we're going to reveal something else and it was very cinematic so that yeah. immediately you know that was uh but that i already knew she had that because i read i think uh providence before then so and it wasn't and bystanders before then anyway so but it was definitely um you know i at that point i realized that she's not just a good writer and she doesn't just have uh you know an act for her storytelling but she understands specifically this short and she understands the tone and uh that's kind of what convinced me that she can be co-director on this because i trusted that she and i have a very similar vision yeah i would say sim- definitely similar vision and very complementary in terms of um our strengths and our you know what we brought to it i think also just being a woman and a man um and he's very he's a lot more experienced than i am obviously on set so he the logistics and you know he just knows how to tell a story like uh whereas i think i'm the more maybe um i don't know what what, what would you describe me as opposed to that i'd say what you definitely brought on that i didn't have as much as attention to detail <laughs> <laughs> which uh it's by the way the same with animation with with me like i'm much more of a layout like a previs person than you know 
uh, a texture artist that you know right. makes add some some scratches to to the surfaces or to, to metal surfaces. Not that there's anything bad about that, but, but it's you just, create big picture. I'm more yeah, yeah. more big picture, yeah. and uh, and that's definitely something that in my films also can be like pretty evident. Like I don't mind. That's a different thing, but like you know, I don't mind when when it, when, a, when an image is ugly as long as it tells the story. Yeah. Um, so that's my main focus. But sometimes the image shouldn't be ugly. So right. it's good to you know, and even when it is supposed to be ugly, there's still always a, a good reason to have a, to have a, a very attentive eye to what exactly ugly means. You know, <laughs> yeah. how do we make it ugly without? Or even not yeah. just ugly, but like you know, believable in yeah. the. You know, whatever I see on the frame, I have to just believe it. And and the other thing that Anat has is being very diplomatic. <laughs> That's important for partnership. Isn't as you it? as you can tell, like she's you know she means like it doesn't have to be ugly. It could be, but but no, but for what one of the the other things for sure uh, that I feel like, especially on set, is I I know from 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 people's comments when I, you know from, from people that I worked with that uh, I can sometimes come off as uh, uh, on sets a bit a bit off put not off putting but like confrontative sometimes I'm, I'm just or Israeli yeah I, I'm very <laughs> I was in the army I'm very like you know um, results oriented uh, I feel like sometimes I forget that people around me are not me and that they have emotions and they have, uh, you know, uh, they need to be, um, you know, encouraged and, and, uh, and flattered and, you know, they want to, and I'm like that too. Like I like being flattered and everything, but sometimes I forget that. that that's part of the communication of what you need. Exactly. Them, yeah. yeah. Like some people just need it. And, uh, and I feel like I'm something to forget and people can get, um, bogged down by it and or 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 and i and i and i immediately noticed uh that Anat is like has a very uh pleasant and uh positive just energy on set um and also more than that i feel like uh the other the other part of that same coin and for me at least is that i sometimes feel uncomfortable asking things from people because of the way I ask those things I, I ask them in a very kind of dry immediate way and even I get kind of um, I guess uh, it, it exhausts me at some point to like keep to, to ask for things in that way because I, I I sense that I'm being a bit you know dry and and very matter-of-fact about those things and uh, so sometimes I just don't ask for things that as a result or like mm -hmm. I'm, I'm more, I'm more okay letting go of things, you know, because I don't want to be that person who kind of keeps asking for things in that dry way. But because they not has that very, uh, lovely and, uh, and, uh, inclusive kind of, uh, um, inviting way of, of communicating with her team. She also has a very, I think, open attitude towards asking for what she wants and being more being demanding. Being more meticulous about and it. And more all. meticulous. Yeah. So that's something that I felt uh, over and over again in this process. I was the one who was like, okay, I feel like we have enough. And she would be, no, we, we don't. Let's ask for more. Let's, you know, let's be, let's get what we want. You know, let's, let's go yeah. all the way. And uh, yeah, and I think that's just... And I'm happy to let a not be the person 
to go ask for it, you know, uh-huh. and be like, okay, Nat, you want more? Go ask for it because you have the best way to ask for it. Nobody's going to be mad at you for asking, you know, every, they're going to, they're going to do it and they're going to be thankful and they're going to, you know, they're going to compliment us for being such, you know, great directors and stuff. And I'll just be on the side and be like, uh, happy that. We don't want to make it seem like David's like, you know, a dictator, like this, the like grumpy Grinch. Grumpy. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's, this is david all the time he's soft-spoken and you know just a very like modest person you know and he's he's very nice it's just uh i think the difference is like he said just his background and my background i mean i'm also from israel but um i was you know raised in the states it's like a different way i mean if, if anybody goes to the middle east they'll see the difference in just the way that like people talk people are it's like very east coast yeah. this is what i want you know it's like Right. Similar, um, so but he's still very very nice. Just for the record. Thank so, you. You're welcome. Um, mind swap. Sorry. <laughs> 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 that's the next. That's the sequel. Mind swap. Oh mind swap. Yeah. yeah, you just gave us a great idea, case. Uh, oh good, because I think <laughs> I just had a mind swap with now. myself. <laughs> <laughs> um. Face Swap is the story of a couple who uh, uh, has, you know, had some years between them. Uh, They go to this new facility where you can pick and impose uh, a celebrity's face onto your partner and spend a romantic evening with your partner as that celebrity. Um, I, you know... I watched it and was um, both uh, uh, at moments giddy and envious of how fun that sounds and also mortified (laughs) as a married man who has, uh, you know, been in a relationship for many years at all of the thick, thorny uh, issues that come out of it. Um, So... What is fascinating to me uh, is, one, uh, that you uh, take on some pretty daring territory in, uh, in a relationship, um, but that you also uh, uh, do it together as you two are actually you know, beginning your own romantic relationship. So can you tell me mm-hmm. a little bit about how that worked uh what was the creative process like uh essentially making a a film about a relationship that is uh having challenges uh as you guys are just starting to to get to know each other as as partners and is looking at me as if like no it's my turn to be on the spot um i mean there's uh there's a few parts to this to this question i guess the first well when I pitched the story to to Ainat, I was uh, I wasn't sure how she's gonna react to it. I mean, I didn't know her that well. It was pretty pretty yeah. much like one of the first times we've met, um, and it was very fresh. In like it was a very fresh idea. I just it was literally a few days after it came to me, um, and uh, it was a bit different. The story was not as evolved as it as it ended up being, 
but the basic core idea of a couple that's experimenting in face swapping was there. Um, and I found it to be very eye-opening and po- in a positive way because the, her reaction to it uh, told me a lot about her, you know, in, in a way. And, and, um, and I liked it because it was something very... Uh, um, uh, she was very interested and, and, uh, and curious and it was not off-putting to her um, that just even dealing with this subject and it wasn't something that she uh felt uh intimidated by mm-hmm. you know talking to me about someone she doesn't she she barely knew at the time um so that was all i think good uh good indicators at, at the very beginning that you know if she likes the story then i could like her and she might like <laughs> me and it could work i you didn't know? know it was conditional on that but okay good to know it's not like that was but i mean um yeah, it was all part of, it was all feeding into each other. Yeah, it, yeah, everything happened at the same, I mean, I already knew I liked her. I didn't even need to to bring that up, but just seeing her reaction to it, basically I was not surprised, but I was uh, uh, pleased by by the fact that she was, uh, uh, that it resonated with her. And then uh, as we were working on it, um, there was definitely a lot of discussions during the process of the writing and deciding and casting of of um of uh discovering those characters and discovering um their motive motivations and deciding what what it is that we're trying to say with those characters there's a lot of very deep discussions about the meaning of all of this and what every decision that every character is making tells us about that character and what is important to her to a not that we uh, communicate. What is the message that we're trying to 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 uh, move forward with? You know, to to put up front. And I think that um, it also helped learn about more. You know, learn a little bit more about each other and what we what is important to us and what is uh, what is something that we both I think reach. We both learn a lot about each other through the process about what we hold important you know what what we feel like uh our um values that we um that are integral to who we are so it was an interesting kind of process both creative on one hand where we we definitely came from different we had some differences in in the way we saw things and uh and also in the way at some point we 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 or the the vision we had for the film itself, which ended up, you know, we ended up kind of uh, agreeing on a certain direction and going in that direction. Uh, but at the same time, also, uh, it was an opportunity for us to learn for, about each other. Yeah, we didn't um, really start dating. We were f- friends, like, throughout most of the process, and then started dating, like, just when about the time we were shooting we started shooting i mean the shoot was only two days but like the week leading up to it and so on set uh, you know everybody could feel this chemistry between us that we couldn't really hide but i think it uh it served the uh the tone of the film shall we say yeah (laughs) and um and then we were holed up together basically for the editing because we we had a little bit of help from uh, our, a very talented editor Ruben um, but we 
took the job on the task on ourselves so that kind of i think i moved in here for what like three weeks or something yeah it was uh me and the dog came here intensive editing intensive editing uh and i think that was when we really connected i mean we would have arguments and then kiss and make up and it was like a um it was a very uh I think deepening process and fun process. But I'll also say that um, the characters don't feel like uh, portrayals of you two. Oh yeah, it, no. by any means, it doesn't feel like you two are just sort of putting yourselves, having actors play a version of yourself, um, mm-hmm. which you know a lot of folks make love stories and relationship stories that are just sort of. Uh, an exaggeration of themselves. These feel like very different folks in you guys. So, um, Completely. Uh, what was it about uh, their story and their relationship that you guys were uh, wanting to get across? What, what, what was it that you were wanting to sort of convey through their, their turmoil and mishaps? I feel, I mean, I grew up with very, with a, I grew up in a single parent uh, household my, with my mom, and she was she is a very strong uh, woman, and uh, you know self uh, self made, and uh, so naturally when I write when I write about couples, especially if it's a married couple, I'll always kind of gravitate towards having a strong female. Part. And I, I don't think it's just me. I think in general, in marriage couples, usually the woman is the stronger part. It's very, it's very common, I feel like. Um, so in this case, it was just kind of naturally the way the couple has been um, materialized in, in my head. Uh-huh. But I definitely feel like the, the narrative structure that the way the narrative structure evolved after a not came on board was definitely towards making sure that the that the wife had uh a more kind of uh a bigger arc in the story than than it, than she had in the original idea that I had I mean it was always about the man being kind of weak and trying to trying in vain to achieve something and and suffering suffering the consequences so it was always about you know kind of a weak uh, protagonist or a flawed protagonist is going flawed, to yeah, flawed, flawed protagonist is going to learn a, a lesson which was always the, the idea for, for the short so in that in that regard it's not it's not a surprise that he's not really made in my image just because, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I told you he was modest <laughs> but um, but I think a not definitely uh uh, not, I, I felt loves the characters almost more than I do, in, or uh-huh. at least in the process. I felt like she had more. more she empathy. felt more, resp- you know, more empathy, yeah, to the characters than I did. So maybe you can probably dive in and. Yeah, maybe that has to do with um, my background as an actor, but I wanted her, the characters to be uh, such that an actor would really like like to sink their teeth into them given that it's such a short piece I wanted to give them something to work with and originally uh, David's script uh, dealt with younger characters right? and 
we we did through the casting process we did see younger actors and older actors and I mean not older they're not older they're just you know seem like they had been married longer with kids and I think that was important to me because I wanted I wanted just a very realistic couple like mm-hmm. that people could relate to and um, that it's not that they don't love each other they've just been together for a long time and have a couple kids and um, have gone through the routine of life year after year together and um, I think for the male character yeah he's definitely flawed but he, he it was also important that he would be relatable for mm-hmm. men you know and for the female character um, it was important that she had different layers to her personality especially because you know I won't give it away but yeah. there is a twist and um, I it was also important not to demonize her you know I wanted to um, it, it's a farce you know so there is the this like satirical element to it uh, but at the same time I wanted it to be uh, realistic like this could happen you know speaking of this could happen <laughs> this technology uh, of um, essentially imposing someone's face onto uh, an actor um, and through computer technology making that uh, making it look like that well-known person is actually doing uh, you know that performance is something that's really starting to break through right now um, so uh, just a few weeks ago, I saw uh, a piece from The Intercept that featured Jordan Peele uh, acting his Obama character, only this time it was the actual face of Barack Obama speaking. And for the first 30 seconds or so, you really buy that that's Barack Obama um, because, you know, Jordan has a really good. A uh, really good uh, George, uh, Obama, you know, voice. Right. But it's not until he says, you know, uh, until they sort of split screens and you see Jordan Peele's face uh, mouthing the same words, that that's completely uh, created, you know, through this new technology. Um, how did you find out about that technology? Because you got into that, you know quite a, a while ago right it was and before started that seeing that and how did you find out about it and what was a intriguing about it b you know what was a little frightening about it or what were your initial thoughts about I'll, this new yeah. technology and how did it lead you to deciding to make a film uh using it well i think the first time i i heard about it was um through an article that i bumped into through social media probably which is mostly how I how I like encounter articles nowadays um, and because I have a network of a lot of visual effects people in my network and people who uh, who are involved in filmmaking and stuff those uh, those news bits or or yeah these news bits find their way to my feed and, and that particular um, item that I'm talking about was a um I believe it was an, on Motherboard, which is uh, part of the uh, uh, Vice, like uh, news uh, kind of news group. 
uh, and it was an article titled um, Deep Fake Porn is Here and We're All Fucked. Like that was, or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> was it that one? Was it that I think article? I think it must have been that one because uh, because I remember the, the there was a a snippet. There was, they didn't obviously feature any porn film in 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 the article, but there was a little uh, animated GIF at the GIF actually at the at the head of the article, which has a five second snippet from a film that stars that seems like it stars Gal Gadot the Israeli actress and, you know Wonder Woman mm-hmm. um, and in that video everyone knows who she is and in that video um, obviously there's nothing uh, not suitable for work because it's, it's part of they, they embedded it into the article but there was enough there in terms of facial expressions and just seeing you know that that I was immediately like uh I was immediately curious, frightened, um, and um, and just uh, surprised because. So, but just to get, just yeah. to clarify, so aside from Jordan Peele doing some Obama impersonations, there is porn in which uh, they have put the faces of celebrities right on uh, so that it looks like those celebrities are in the porn. Yes, and the porn, not, not just, porn came first. The porn came first. The porn and, always comes first. Porn yeah. and military <laughs> always get the technology first. Exactly. And the Jordan Peele, actually, that video came out in April of last year. Okay. Mm-hmm. So okay. the yeah. porn one came out like December, January of 2017. I gotcha. Yeah. Well, I gotcha. Uh, maybe it's, it's actually worth noting that um, the reason I thought it was so remarkable is because... The thing about uh, the use of this technology in porn, uh, obviously it's, it's wrong in any way you can look at it, uh, but what it suggests is that um, whoever is behind this, uh, this video is not some high-end uh, multi-million dollar visual effects company uh, right. and, an, and an army of engineers. This is... For this to to actually be utilized in such a way in porn, it means that it's accessible, uh, it's accessible. technology. Yeah, yeah, and not just accessible, accessible to probably sixteen year old um, guys with a lot of free time on on their hands and 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 not a lot of uh, responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and that fact, what that was the thing that really got me uh, incredibly curious about this technology because I and and what made me immediately think about it as a uh, as a thing I want to explore myself and figure out how to do because again it's accessible if it's accessible to, to people like the ones that were using it for porn I, I thought it's going to be and should be accessible to other people who would use it for better things you know I, hopefully and also isn't prior to this to actually face swap faces wasn't that very, very tricky? Yeah, specifically, um, any kind of um, digital manipulation of faces was always considered the holy grail in, in computer graphics because uh, for a few reasons, but the first one being that we as humans are 
programmed to identify faces from the day we're born. So anything a bit weird about uh, the the shape of a face and even more so the mechanics the of it. The, yeah, even more so the mechanics and the expression and the motion. Uh, anything like that immediately strikes us as uh, uncanny. In fact, there's this kind of known uncanny, uncanny valley, valley yeah. uh, phenomena, which uh, if, if, if you get very close, but not close, but not quite there, you generate an incredible like, disturbing, disturbing feeling. feeling. Exactly. So, and yeah, that's how I felt about watching, uh, you know, the young Jeff Bridges in the new Tron movie. Or, exactly. Or, you know, early on when they uh, put Arnold Schwarzenegger back into one of the recent Terminators right. as the young, naked Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> exactly. And it's cool it, and interesting, but very odd. You know, right. that, that sort of early imposing a, a, a face into a character. Precisely. And, and even nowadays, I mean, with Star Wars, uh, Princess Leia, the young Princess Leia, or in uh, uh, Blade Runner 2048, I think it was, uh, where they brought the. I think it's 2049. Uh, 49 yeah. yeah it's even with all that bells and whistles and of you know the most recent technologies right. it's Brand still new. there's still some seems i mean it's we're getting very very close probably have already passed that point mm-hmm. with with contemporary computer animated uh, solutions uh with the high-end companies really kind of doing an incredible job at doing that and, and utilizing you know top-of-the-line technologies uh, but it's, it's but it is so expensive still, and the existence of something like deepfakes and the 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 simplicity of of how it's basically done, and uh, even just a noble kind of thought of it being a com- completely automated process that's being done by a computer that that learns, you know that that. Uh, to those who don't know, this is this technology has only has only been recently enabled because of uh, the advent of uh, of um, what's called uh, neural networks, deep neural networks, which is a new concept. Well, a s- relatively new concept in computer uh, programming and engineering that has become more uh, accessible and more possible nowadays because of new hardware technologies, uh-huh. uh, which wasn't available even five or, or, you know, or 10 years ago. So th- it's definitely like kind of a, it's something that wasn't, it wasn't around, uh, until very recently. So to the very lay person who doesn't understand, uh, a computer's CGI or even necessarily, you know, too much artificial intelligence how does deep fake technology work? Like what, what, what's sort of like the, the, the kindergarten explanation of that? Uh, I think the best way I was able to kind of wrap my hand around it is to think about it in a way as um, like the basic, the basic idea behind uh, machine learning or, or the, the core term that is usually um, associated with machine learning is pattern recognition, all right? So the computers are, with that technology, are very good at, at recognizing patterns. Uh, and those patterns can be anything. They can be visual patterns, audio patterns, um, speech patterns, you know. Um, the idea, the core idea is you give the computer enough information 
I'm talking about thousands and thousands of examples of a certain pattern. It just becomes very good. The computer learns through cycling through that information and kind of digesting it over and over and over and over and over again. It's very good at uh, identifying those patterns and distilling them into very uh, coherent uh, information bits. So the best example is handwriting. You know, if you want to create a handwriting uh, um, recognition software, you feed it a lot of examples of what A looks like by written by many, many people in different handwriting styles and what B looks like and what C and what each letter. And after the computer has witnessed, you know, thousands of examples of, of different types of A's, it gets really good at just stopping to notice all the different, all the small deviations it between each style. what the hell an A is. Yeah, and just say it's an A, you know? Mm -hmm. Just by virtue of having seen so many deviations, at some point it kind of becomes really, really good at uh, just, yeah, st distilling it down. So if you take a, a human face, for instance, and you want to say, okay, what would, what would the computer uh, do if it was instead of an A, like a, a person's face, and you give the computer thousands and thousands of images of a face, it'll end up distilling it to something like the word face, for instance. In, that, in, in one example, it's the word face, as opposed to not face. You know, so if you gave the computer an, an image of an apple, it's most likely going to say it's not a face. But if you gave it an image of any face, it'll be it's a face. After cycling through thousands of those, the computer gets good at distilling it down to that. But we're, it, this was a binary example of like face or not face. But you can also uh, make it a non-binary thing where you basically say, well, tell me a little bit more about this face. You know, is it, does it have a big nose or a small nose? Does it have, you know, a big eye or whatever? Does it have some kind of a scar on the lip or does it have uh, some kind of a, uh, uh, does it have glasses on? And... In a way, the way I think about it, it's similar to a sketch artist drawing a very quick kind of sketch of a face. A sketch artist already knows what face what a face looks like, and it don't and it starts noticing the differences between one person's face and another person's face. So, a sketch of you is going to look different than a sketch of me, right? Because we have different faces, but it, but they're going to be a simplified version of our faces, right? Uh, so that's kind of like the basic of of machine learning. Um, the way it does face swapping specifically is, is an interesting kind of variation on that. So in a way, it does something similar to sketching, to d simplifying a person's face. But at the same time, the same, uh, there's another system that's trained simultaneously to do the opposite, to take a sketch and to turn it back into the original face. Now, basically, because the computer has the original and it creates the sketched version, the simplified version, um, when the computer tries to recreate the original from just based on the sketch, it has something to compare it to, right? So, so basically what happens is it tries to create a more fleshed out version of the sketch and then it compares it to what the original looked like. And based on how that comparison came out, uh, it gives itself notes you know this version came out really bad so you know try better next time you know and then over time and again we're talking about a computer that does this thousands and thousands of times per second so you go through thousands of iterations of that and the computer basically becomes better at both at both compressing the, the face and making a distilled kind of sketch like version of that face 
and at the same time being able to do the opposite of taking that sketch version of the face and bringing it back to looking more like the, the original um, and um, then with then what it also does you can tell it to uh, by the way what I just described the, the, the idea of like having a uh, having the computer create a version of the face and then compare it to another version and give itself notes it's, it's known as uh, GAN which basically means two networks that are both trained at the same time and they give each other uh, notes basically and, and they make each other better by just getting better at creating something and then also getting better at critiquing that thing but, interesting so it's, it's, a, it's a very kind of it becomes this and by the way a lot of it I don't understand because I, I never actually um, wrote anything like a neural network or, or ha didn't really have to program any of that it's all based on uh, previously existing software that that uh, developers have shared with the world in an open source community um, so I've only been able to kind of like see what they did and try to fill in the gaps because there's just so much that I don't know uh, about this process but the way uh, but then when you when you get to the point where the your net neural network is capable of taking an image of a face simplifying it and then bringing it back to the original and you do the same with a celebrity with with someone else's face and let's say a celebrity face that you want to uh, paste or to kind of impose uh, on, yeah. on the original face um, you basically just take the the compression of one and use the decompression of the other all right so I, I compress my face into a sketch version of my face and I use the decompression filter that the other that the celebrity has so it takes that sketch idea and then decompresses it to look like the other uh, person and because the training data when I say training data it me I'm talking about all the images of the face of the original face that I give the computer because all those images are of the same person then what the computer actually gets in the in the compressed version is only things like facial expressions and uh, emotions and only the things that make one picture of me different from another picture of me, right? Uh -huh. So that sketch version is actually not exactly what I described earlier because I described earlier a version that says that your sketch would be different than my sketch. Yes, if the computer was receiving images of both you and me and a thousand other people, yeah, then, then that sketch version would be very specific to and very tailored to every person. But because the computer is getting thousands of images of, of the same person, that sketch version only contains information about... Performance. About performance. Uh-huh. Right? Mm-hmm. And then when you apply that sketch version to the celebrity face, it gets what you see that face at the end of the day is only the celebrity face with your performance on it. So that's basically how face swapping works. Which is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and when people ask me how long does it take to do it, which, which you know, it's, it's kind of a common question, especially because you know, visual effects artists are known to be like very meticulous and the whole process is usually time consuming and stuff. The answer is the training of the computer takes me uh, maybe 20 minutes, half an hour or whatever it takes me to collect those images. I usually uh -huh. either take a video and just take a bunch of stills from that video or go on Google Images and grab a, a bunch of pictures from Google Images. So that takes me probably about half hour and then I just type in a command and I hit enter and the computer 
does starts, the rest. does the rest. The computer takes as, lo- as much as the computer takes. You know, it depends on how strong a, a computer you have. But I let my computer work on it for like two days or something like that. It's perfectly fi- fine. You know, over a weekend, I can go and, you know, go you travel somewhere. You come back somewhere. to it and it's like hacked the, all of the nuclear codes. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I go back and accidentally it took over, you know, half the city. and uh, Yeah. No lights in New York. <laughs> yeah. And and the other thing, once the, once the training is done, once the computer has learned the to create that sketch and recreate that sketch, uh, then the conversion itself is almost uh, seamless. It's almost uh, real time. Um, it can be real time. So uh, it's just a matter of like work, you know, designing it in a certain way to 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 do that simultaneously, which is great. And I mean, great or scary or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, yep. So, uh, I guess it's no big secret anymore, not a huge spoiler, but uh, in essence, in your film, you guys turn uh, your, you know, nice, sweet couple into George Clooney and Rachel McAdams. (laughs) So, um, how did you guys get George and Rachel on board uh, this project? <laughs> it was not easy. Their agents are really tough. Um, but they love the script, so... I let it not ask them. <laughs> she talked <laughs> sweetly to them. She talked sweetly um, Yeah, so uh, what is, uh, I guess, the, um, you know, aside from the excitement of... You know, walking out and seeing, you know, your partner is now Rachel McAdams. Uh, wh- what is the, um, I guess, the sort of implications of uh, being able to make uh, a piece that's, that has George Clooney and Rachel McAdams, their likeness in it, uh, without them doing that performance? It's their performance, it's them, but they're not performing it. Mm-hmm. Um, what what are some of the the things? I you know, are there uh, cease and desist orders? Uh, what's the sort of it, is there any fear of uh, of them coming in saying, "Hey, you you guys put me in your movie without paying me millions of dollars"? Um, you're gonna have to speak to our lawyer, Casey. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I don't think there's fears. I think we we both thought about it a lot and uh and we believe that we we have a good feeling that they would love this film. We I think we both kind of believe that that it Yeah. that they would appreciate it because because we're not trying to because we're we're coming from a positive place. We're presenting them in a positive uh, way I mean they are basically uh, fantasy desire objects and um, and we're only supporting the claim that they are like a zeitgeist uh, pe- like celebrities that are um, that are admired worldwide well, and they're iconic you know they're it was important for us to cast quote unquote cast um actors that 
had this charisma that couldn't be emulated so that even if you were to impose their face on another actor you would feel wait a minute no matter how good the the face swapping works and we actually tweaked it so that it wouldn't be so perfect uh-huh. um but we wanted people to feel like oh, okay yeah i might look like them but it's not them and uh that was really important so there's a level of intentional imperfection yes we didn't want it to be seamless we wanted it to be eerie we um wanted people to be aware of this technology a lot of people were not prior to this and um we hope that you know someone like Rachel McAdams and George Clooney could see that we're we're on their side you know we we wanted to make this film as kind of you know a social commentary of this existing technology and it's only going to get better and better and um that audiences are aware that it exists and that celebrities are also aware that it exists. Well, there was actually an interesting observation uh, that I had pretty late in the process. Um, and I remember we were in post-production doing uh, that scene where uh, the, the husband is choosing his celebrity uh, crush in, in the room. And... Um, I came to Inat at some point. We were talking, Inat was basically my supervisor when I did the VFX because she was, I was the one like, you know, stuck uh, in the trenches and dealing with the nit, nits and grits of creating those visual effects. And Inat was the one with like the, the broader kind of perspective. Story and she scope, would, yeah. Yeah, she would tell me. And uh, if, if I did a good job or I have to go back and redo it. And she was very uh, uh, ferocious sometimes. <laughs> But like, it looks great, honey. I know it took you like two days, but do you mind? Uh, do you mind going back and redoing it? Because you know it's, or like we don't need this or whatever. But you know, it's, she's always right. It's always good to, to do that. It helps. You know, it keeps keeps me a step separated. Um, and uh, but I came to her about um, the fact that even though uh, he sees a bunch of celebrities. I think I remember asking her and she kind of, it was a weird way to, to ask it. I was like, how do people know that these are celebrities? Right? And she said, well, it's clearly like you have the, all those, you know, celebrities in those images, you know, you have very known actor, uh, actresses. In that case, it was actresses. Uh, you, we had a lot of actresses, the Gal Gadot and, uh, and uh, Scarlett Johansson. We had Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton at some point I, appears. I made sure, I was very firm yeah. about including her. And uh, thank you, Casey, by the way. Casey gave yes. us a good note about, Great note about early on. expanding that scene even more than we had it originally. Yeah. Um, but I told her, you know, it's good that we have all the celebrities. But, and she didn't understand the question, but, but what I meant when I asked how do people know is, is that in the world of this film are these celebrities? You know, because you watch films all the time starring George Clooney or Brad Pitt or Rachel McAdams or Tom Cruise, they're not celebrities in those films. They're characters. They're characters. So how do right. we know that these are celebrities in this film? Uh-huh. And so I had the idea of adding names under those uh, profile pictures of the celebrities so that people, so that when uh, Gal Gadot appears, it says Gal Gadot underneath and not, you know, some, uh, some character's name. Right. Which 
which up until that point I'm talking about very late in the post-production like it never came up as a as a, a question as a concern to right. us like are people going to realize and I I'm sure that it would have it's kind of self-explanatory after a while but you know it's like just it's important to be clear I feel like when you tell a story but that was an example um, of how um, even if you have celebrities even even once we figured out a way to overcome this obstacle and get the George Clooney's face to be on our actor there's still a level that we need to explain to to our audience that yeah this is not this is George Clooney George Clooney this is not George Clooney a character in a film like other you know right. like there's still this like meta level that you have to overcome <laughs> and basically say we are in a world where the celebrities of that world like the world is fictional but the celebrities are real right They, these are our celebrities so those people can actually you Uh, be you know be um, fans of George Clooney in this world as opposed to uh, uh, we talked about also a potential version of this feature where or this feature version of this short where the celebrities are not real world celebrities but other celebrities but that would kind of defeat the purpose yeah. of us being the first the you know was there any dilemma discussion debate over which you celebrities to uh to pick yeah it was it was very short-lived though um i think originally we had uh like a couple other actors that when that david had in mind before i came on as co-writer and then um when we talked more about it and also through the casting uh i think no we figured it out before the casting process but um It's like we couldn't have told it without George and Rachel. It's uh-huh. like it's George and Rachel. You know, it was again, just very important that we cast uh, celebrities that are you can't you just can't copy. right. You know, their right. presence. Um, so for the other amazing trait that I've learned about in not during the process is that uh, She's very, very firm about what she wants and what she needs, but she's also very flexible about altering it if need be, you know? Like in the process, there were obviously a lot of, a lot of compromises that had to be made and a lot of, uh, um, a lot of changes, uh, natural changes to the process, and she was the most flexible. She was more flexible than me in some cases about accepting those changes and moving on and... and uh, um, Yeah, I think a big one was the length of the film. Right, yeah. That's I was supposed big, to have a director's thing. cut. I'm still waiting for it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah. he, he was very right. David's just, um, he's like a man that, kind of man that just, he doesn't say something unless he really believes it. Right. So um, a lot of times. You don't, you don't fight about things just to fight about them. No. You only fight the battles that you feel are really important. Yeah. Yeah. He Creatively, sees things. Most, yeah. He definitely sees things. I mean, don't get me wrong. We had our creative battles for sure. Um, but in terms of like the fa- like foundational things, I think uh, he, you know, he was critical about. I kind of like sprinkled things, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm more of the, like you said, detailed things. oriented and I'm like no it can't be any other way it's gonna change the meaning of the film you know um, but yeah I think that that was the, a good compliment for us yeah 
Can you tell me a little bit about uh, how making this film was different um, from making, for example, a live action film with CGI? Like what's, what's the challenge uh, on set to do this, knowing that you're gonna have to uh, swap the- a face? And what's the process of actually in post making that that face swap? Is it sort of like okay, I I feed you know here's a performance and I feed it a bunch of images of Rachel and, and George and I come back in two days after having some coffee and going on a bender and and the movie's made. Yeah, for sure. I think um, in most in usual films, um, the fact that I'm also a visual effects artist as as well as a director or at least in the films where I directed, knowing that I will be doing the visual effects, um, the process is um, is uh, sometimes challenging because, or so I've encountered this interesting uh, dynamic between me and other crew members where I'll be very forgiving about how I prepare things for visual effects because the by I have a lot of experience and I know all the most recent tools and there's a lot of things that are people are already knowledgeable about visual effects which is great so you have crews that are very attentive to a visual effects shot and oh my god we gotta have a green screen and the green screen needs to be uh to be clean and well lit and everything and we have to have markers and stuff oftentimes when i arrive the first thing i do is i I kind of r- remove a bit of the of the of the strain pressure. and the pressure. Yeah. Like it's okay if there's no green screen here. It's okay we don't need tracking markers here. And that's usually the dynamic um, that I encounter on set where people are like, "Oh, really? Are you sure? What's gonna you know?" Like that kind of skepticism. And I'm always like, "Don't worry about it. You know, I, I've done it before. I know what I need. I'm not gonna." And and I'm a very kind of I'm, I'm a big fan of efficiency and of moving fast. And if there's no need for something, I'll be the first one to say, "Scratch that. We don't yeah. need it." Um, even as a supervisor on other people's sets, and it had has happened to me on even recent jobs where people were already preparing, like you know, all the big stuff that needs that they feel felt needs to be there. And then I would be like, "Well, why are you doing this? Like, we I'm, I didn't say we need this." And they're like. <laughs> Oh really? And and then they got start getting defensive about like, but you know, we thought we, we needed. Thought we had to tape all these yeah. motion capture stickers to our actors' faces. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, are you sure? Because we did all this work, and I'm like, I mean, if you want to, you can finish it. But yeah. I'm not gonna like, I, I'm not gonna be demanding. But what's the what's the sort of? But the uh, case what, the the case for face swap on set are there special things you have to do to those two actors? So yeah. So the you're so the the short answer is no. There's nothing special we needed to do to the actors' faces on face swap. Um, no tracking markers. No, th- like, actually, if we had tracking markers, it, it would have made our jobs yeah. harder. So they um, just have to perform. They just have to perform. You know, the 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 challenge, the real challenge that I've encountered, was by. Just the virtue of this being the first time that I've done that I've went through the process in the live action, mm-hmm. and I had, quite honestly, a, a, a high cloud of of, uh, of uncertainty. I did a little bit of a, of, a, of a test. Yeah. I didn't have much time to test. I didn't feel like I needed to test too much because I felt the story was, the story was forgiving in terms of the the 
technology working well or not working well. You right. Know, as, because Anot says it's important to have it not be perfect, to have it be a little bit strange yeah. looking to see Rachel on your wife's face. Exactly. And and I knew that from the beginning and I, and I've designed it to be that way because I I know technology. I know that when it's new and it's untested, there's always going to there's always a chance of it not yeah, not working. Glitchy. Yeah, being a little glitchy. So I was like I'm not going to create a story now that is you know dependent upon it being completely seamless because that right. would be that would make no sense. Uh-huh. Um so it was by design, so and I was forgiving, so I knew I had a little bit of leeway. But just the fact um, that I haven't done it and I haven't gone through the process from start to finish with my own footage and my own actors doing the performance, um, it it created a big cloud of uncertainty that affected me. I feel like um, on set, like I felt. It, it made me less confident than I would normally be when shooting a similar scene. Um, I uh, You're just not sure how it's going to turn out because you've never yeah. made it before. I'm looking at the shot and, I mean, I didn't know. And, you know, we had some technical challenges on set as well. We had a lot of mirrors in that room. We had a, um, you know, um, we had a little time. We had to be out there by certain so a lot of things kind of contributed to that sense of like, oh, um, you know, I'm seeing, I'm looking at the monitor, I'm not seeing the final image, and it really made it hard for me to focus on, on what I was supposed to focus on, which is like, you know, directing and performance and stuff. But luckily, Inat was there, uh-huh. and she was, you know, whatever I didn't notice, she noticed, and you know, it was kind of like, and Inat, I feel like had a less, less of a, an expectation of what. You know technology what? What supposed to technology do. and also what the process of like being on set and 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 judging that thing. So, so for her, like I was distraught on set by looking at a monitor and being distracted by so many things because I came in with a lot of uh, um, with with a heavy dose of expectation. I feel like right. that I think that Anat was a lot more focused because. I'm sure she had her own set of expectations and she, what she saw on screen was nothing, you know, was was probably a bit different than that. But I think that she kind of relied on me to, that things are going to be okay and she kind of moved on from there where I was still bogged down with like, oh my God, I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm responsible for this and then don't see what I'm, what I'm expecting to see on screen. So, um, yeah, so that, but it worked out, I feel like, you know, in terms of... Uh, uh, ultimately, after we we worked a lot in the editing and stuff, we ended up uh, like. Plus, I, f- I feel like this this short specifically there was something unique for me in how much color correction played a role in uh, in soothing my uh, uh, concerns about about uh-huh. the final outcome. Like I've never I've never actually been in a situation where. I felt like before and after grading the, f- the short and doing color correction. It's a huge difference. It was such a huge difference in terms of what uh, my attitude towards it. Yeah. Just briefly, how long did post take on this short? Um, how long did it take to get the faces swapped to your liking? That that part didn't take too long. No. I don't think. 
I, I was in New York, I think, when I did the first uh, yeah. the first training session. I, I flew to New York for like a weekend for, uh, uh, what was it for? I don't remember, or something, some kind of an event. Yeah. Oh, my, my brother came to visit a friend and I'm, I'm I, I mean, uh, quite honestly, like we did, our first conversion test was almost final. With, uh, with George Clooney. Uncanny. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, when we saw that, it was very, it was very, you know, normally the process of visual effects is you do something, it looks like crap. You keep tweaking it. Keep tweaking it. And then after a long period of time, after, you know, cycles and cycles of tweaking, it looks great. In this case, it was like, we did it. It looks amazing. I was like, like holy crap, this is going to be amazing. <laughs> and then very like laid down the line, maybe months after that, I was like, let's do another conversion for test. Fine, just, just, to for fine. just to see what else just George to see might if do. It can be like, even, here, let's just do another take. Yeah. yeah. Let's see if, it, if exactly. it'll look a bit better, you know, if I'll, I'll let it work on, you know, let it train for another day or two. Yeah. And then it trained for another day and it was a bit better. Uh-huh. But it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't a huge now it works. And before that, it didn't work. Right. Wow. Like, it worked from the, from the first try. And with Rachel also. Rachel was, took a little bit longer, I think, for the, for the test. But yeah. And then we had a fun little accident. Oh, yeah. When the computer swapped uh, George's face on both, both uh, our male actor and our female actor, <laughs> actors, I should say. Yeah. And so we let that whole scene play out and had a really good laugh. Um, happy accidents yeah and also <laughs> discoveries you know you realize wait a second like even though I trained George versus the actor it actually works on other faces as well so like I can uh -huh. put George on the actress and it works and <laughs> wow. I can put George on someone else and it works right. it's really Aina is this uh, the kind of technology that means in 10 years from now uh, actors will be just licensing their likeness and deep fake technology will do the rest of the work for them? Is this sort of the end of acting? Uh, it's such a deep question, Casey. It's a deep fake question. It's a deep fake question. <laughs> yeah, it's funny that you asked that because we had an idea also um, for a feature that has to do with that. Um, and... It, the technology is getting better and better every day and you have um, university studies being done on it as we speak and they're nailing it so that even the sides of the faces are face swapped. So like as you know in our film, when they turn their faces, you can still see our actors' profiles see, yeah, like underneath. The, the edge. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. Which we could have probably worked on better, but again, we wanted to keep it uh, eerie. Rough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hey, I, I could see it. I can definitely see a situation where an actress is, you know, maybe has a baby, um, a celebrity actress and she wants to take a break, uh, but She's she doesn't like, want to lose. Use, just use my, yeah, use my, my image. Yeah. There was a film that kind of, uh, dealt with this called the Congress. I don't know if you've heard of it with Robin Wright. Um, it was slightly different. It's not about face swapping, but um, it's about an actress that basically uh, sells her image, right, to a studio, right, David? Yeah. 
Yeah, so it's it's possible. Um, I don't know if audiences will like it. Uh-huh. Maybe. It's sort of like, did they lip sync on the, on the Grammys or yeah. something like that? It's like... Was well, that I, really her, or was that just... <laughs> you know, it reminds me of... Uh, a friend of mine asked me, I forget who. It'll come back to me at some point, but someone asked me, uh, from a technology standpoint, what is the ga- the next game-changer technology in animation? Mm-hmm. Um, because we've had a few like advancements um, in animation in the last few years, obviously, like big kind of game-changing things. And um, actually, I think it was my producer for my film asked me like what is more 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 specifically what kind of technology i feel like is going to have a big impact on prices like what's going to reduce prices for visual effects right because that's uh, a producer what's make question it affordable we can do big what, CGI what should projects. i be looking out for to make this finally affordable and not such an expensive thing and i told him and that was before that was like maybe three four years ago um so before deepfakes came out but i said ai yeah. And the reason I said AI was not, I didn't wasn't thinking about deepfakes at the time because I didn't even think about that as a as a uh, as an application for AI. But I was thinking about character animation um, and uh, animating. So because animating characters is usually done uh, either there's two ways to do character animation in 3D. Which one is handmade you know like basically draw every uh, frame draw every frame or in the 3D animation equivalent of that is a pose every frame like right. uh, or, or pose keyframe and then work on it which it just takes a long time it usually takes people between for, for the the rates are go, they go between maybe four seconds a week to like one second a week of animation per 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 That's artist un- unreal yeah it's very Not slow being in that part of the industry to imagine what it takes to make a fully animated feature yeah when a person can do one to four seconds a week <laughs> exactly and the alternative is uh the other thing that people have, be, have been using is motion capture which is right. which is uh having character you know having actors wear these suits and tracking their motion but then you end up with something that is basically captured by uh an, an actor which is great as well but usually it's not it's not something that's commonly used for for like stylistic animation. It's more for things like visual effects when you have like you know things like Avatar or yeah. you know, digital digital doubles or things like that. Um, but uh, the reason I thought of AI as being like the next jump, the next uh, thing is because I thought of AI as a way to to uh, basically have the computer. Um, imagine a movement you know like the computer would come up with suggestions as to what you know what does the character look like when it runs you know and when it runs when it's angry or when it runs when it's happy when it runs when it's ticklish or i don't know like and feeding a computer like i can see a world in in the near future not even that far off where you feed the computer with those bits of information you know, like the age of the character, the the mood of the character, the the goals of the character, and the computer would basically create that uh, that performance for you. Um, which that I think is like the when when we get to that point with AI and we combine that with what we already can do with with uh, facial swapping, then you get to the point where someone like you know uh, a very 
like a big actor could be could have a reason to be concerned for losing their job when you know when you tell someone I want you to perform this line like George Clooney you know type it into the computer and you hit enter and the computer makes. not just doesn't just take a video and makes it look like you know resemble George George Clooney you know, like take an existing performance like we did in our short and make it, it resemble the actual acting yeah and the voice and does everything for yeah. you now that's probably a little further ahead yeah. in the future but I feel like it's ultimately we're going to get there mm-hmm. um, we were talking in the meanwhile about the concept of of uh, there being suddenly being a new art form which is it's not really celebrity imitation it's like celebrity embodiment or what, what have you someone who has the voice of a certain actor and the, and the ability to replicate their mannerism and that they can become like the vehicle for you know the best I don't know uh, recreation of that yeah, yeah George Clooney impersonator that doesn't you know because that's something that we encounter when we that did our short which becomes sort of like the, the next you know uh, the next up after stunt double is you have your actual actor double mm-hmm. exactly yeah. yeah but imagine how cool it would be then to be able to um, reenact like Marilyn Monroe or something you know like you'd have a uh-huh. film with Marilyn and George Clooney you could bring yeah. back you could bring actors back. who are who are dead and yeah and cast them with actually like the real actual live actors of today wow um, it allows for that I could definitely see something like that how can uh, audiences see face swap it's available online for free, uh, obviously, on YouTube, on Vimeo, on our website, facewapthemovie.com. It's everywhere. We Face- recommend watching it on Vimeo because that's yeah. our upload. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh-huh. We also, YouTube has it on two channels so far. Um, a channel called C- The CG Bros and another channel called Amuleto. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. And it's, it will be uh, screened at Sci-Fi London, which is a film festival this May. And also My Sci-Fi in Miami Sci-Fi Festival in uh, the end of this month. The end of this month, yeah. yeah. The end of this month. So, so check out faceswapthemovie.com to find mm-hmm. out all the right. ways to, to watch it. Yes. Well, I can't recommend it enough. It's such a, a fun and trippy short um thank you and it's it is pretty wild to to see it happen even when you know what's coming uh (laughs) to see the two of them transform into to george and rachel is is totally wild and of course the twist which we won't get into today (laughs) um what uh what are you two working on next so um a few things we are developing a reality TV show uh, that we're pitching as well um, that utilizes face swap technology. And we're also developing a mini series anthology um, that also, you know, is in the face swap world. And in addition to that, uh, a feature film that deals with AI, but uh, in robotics. So that's exciting. So we can look forward to more in this universe that you guys Absolutely. just gave us a really brief yep. glimpse into with, with Facebook. 
Yes. Totally. Exciting things to come. The future has never been grimmer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I want to thank you guys both for sharing you. your stories, but also for allowing me to, uh, to host Swap with you. That, yes. that is fantastic. Really, uh, Mind swab, host swab. Honored to, to come in and, and uh, interview you both. Well, we're Thank you so much. We're honored that you, that you yeah, interviewed totally. us. This was it. This was episode 17 with uh, myself, David Gidali, and Nat Tubi, uh, hosted by Casey Cooper Johnson. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And stay tuned for next week. More great things to come. Thank you so much for joining. Subscribe, com- comment, like, you know the drill. Have a great day. Bye.